Hello and welcome to a brand new season of the Everyday Christian Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Green. This is a podcast where we remind ourselves that God deserves every praise from every creature every day. So let's always try our best to be everyday Christians. Like I said, this is a brand new season, season five of the podcast with the Scattered Abroad Network. Make sure and go check out the Scattered Abroad Network at scatteredabroad.org, or you can find us in whatever podcast you listen to uh, your podcast on. Be sure to follow all of our podcasts as well as our master feed. And if you would, leave us a, a rating and review, and that definitely helps us uh, to get more uh, of those uh, podcast episodes out to a broader audience. I also want to tell you about a new monthly podcast that we are debuting this month. It is the Father Time Podcast. This is a podcast with myself and Scott Kane and Matt McBrayer, and uh, we're going to be talking about you know fathers stepping up and trying to be the spiritual leaders that we need to be in the household. The uh, kind of the theme of that podcast is it's high time for father time. We want fathers to step up and study the Bible with their wives and children and things of that nature. So be on the lookout for that podcast each month at the Scattered Abroad Network. And I also wanted to give you just a brief uh, life update in uh, my family. Uh, we announced a few months ago that my wife and I are expecting baby number four. So we're really, really excited about that. Lord willing, uh, green baby number four will be here uh, sometime in May. So again, we're just very excited about that and would appreciate your prayers on our behalf. We're talking about doctrine this season on the Everyday Christian Podcast. And with us to begin this season, we have Dan Cates. Dan was one of my instructors at the Memphis School of Preaching. And I really appreciate Dan. Uh, I've told people before, he was one of those instructors that really helped us keep our sanity um, just with his, his gentleness with us. And, and uh, um, starting the day, you know, a lot of days of the week, either with English class or Greek with him, it really helped us a lot because uh, Dan's just a really cool guy and really appreciate him. And, and even today, I, I try to give him a call every once in a while and get some mentorship advice from him. So Dan, I really appreciate you joining the podcast with us this week and next week. Well, it's my pleasure to be here, and I appreciate those kind words. I really enjoy being able to relate to the students. Uh, I don't feel the age I am, and I think part of that is because I get to spend time with those guys, and I get to talk about some of the common interests, be it sports or, or other things, just keep things um uh, that level in addition to the classroom level. So I appreciate the kind words. Uh, I really enjoy that relationship, and I'm always very happy to be able to talk to you and, and to uh, touch base, catch up. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And seems like I remember, uh, you know, I was in school from 2015 to 2017. Seems I remember that you never missed a Chick-fil-A day with us when we had those. I, I hope I didn't. <laughs> uh, I, I try to catch all of those. Right. So uh, I, I remember uh, we did that once a month or so, or maybe once every two months. And um, I remember always looking to you. I was like, okay, does he look <laughs> please, like he's in please. a Chick-fil-A mood this, this Friday or not? <laughs> so those, yeah, those kinds you? of days, they really helped us keep our sanity, uh, especially yes, when we had tough, you know, finals or, or mid midterm type tests and stuff going on. Can I tell you a quick story about the other day? Sure. Go ahead. Uh, it was three weeks before the end of the semester. Or the end of the quarter, uh, Brother Bland walked in. Brother Mosier's teaching the uh, World Missions class, 
Anyway, I asked Brother Bland, this was right before time. I said, have you seen Brother Mosher? And he said, no, I haven't seen him. I said, well, you know, I really have a taste for chicken, chicken this morning. And Brother Bland said, well, you know, I do too. Let's just make an executive decision. And so we were going to go and, uh, you know, just handle the consequences if we couldn't find Brother Mosher. But fortunately, caught him on the way out and asked Brother Mosher, you want to go? So Brother Mosher jumped in the vehicle with Brother Bland and Kevin Rutherford's one of the instructors now. So Kevin got in with us. All the students drove over to Chick-fil-A. We drove over to Chick-fil-A, got to Chick-fil-A, and they made everybody stand outside because the, uh, they've been reworking the inside and the fire inspector was there. Fire inspector looked at one of our guys. He said, they wouldn't have made you do this if we weren't here. But anyway, <laughs> we, we, we did, couldn't go one by one from outside. Right. So we had had to cancel it that day. I, I felt terrible because that had been my idea. But anyway, we, we well, that, love it when we get to do it. So that was the uh, limited Chick-fil-A commission, I guess. That's that's exactly right. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, I uh, certainly enjoyed those days and, and look back fondly to my time at at Memphis and uh, appreciate all of our instructors uh, for sure, including you. Uh, we are going to talk about a discussion of the deity of Christ uh, this week and probably next week as well. This is certainly a big, big topic. Uh, but before we do that, Dan, would you like to maybe introduce yourself a little bit further? Okay. Uh, glad to. Uh, as you mentioned, I, I teach at the Memphis School of Preaching. I teach the language classes. I also teach um, uh, wisdom literature, which is Job, Proverbs, uh, Ecclesiastes, Christian evidences, First and Second Thessalonians, First Second Timothy, Titus, uh, Revelation, and teach some of the classes in the most program. I preach at the Independence Church of Christ in Independence, Mississippi, uh, about 20 miles south of, of Memphis, and uh, have served here as a preacher since 99, as one of the elders since 2010. Uh, married to uh, Shelly, and we have two children, uh, Maggie, who's married to Dylan Cooper, and our son, Con. Uh, both of them are out of their teenage years, so I guess that means we're getting a little older. Wow, I remember uh, Connor. He was pretty young when I was in school, but that's been a little while now. Yes, so sir. He's not a teenager anymore. Not a teenager anymore. Yeah, wow. he was probably about fourteen or fifteen when you started. Right. Wow. Maybe that, younger than that. Time flies. That's hard to believe. It does. All right. Well, I appreciate you introducing yourself. And uh, like I said, we're talking about the deity of Christ. This is definitely a big topic and an important topic. Wouldn't you say, Brother Dan? I would. Yes, sir. It's a topic from uh, both the Old and New Testaments, even though we don't necessarily see Jesus, obviously, in the flesh until uh, the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we see that there's going to have to be uh, this one who is uh, God and man. Right. And I think uh, that's really important when we think about the fulfillment of the prophecies and the reliability of scripture, you know, there, there are certain groups of people who deny, at least in some respect, the deity of Christ. And in so doing, aren't they really denying flat out what the Bible plainly says? Uh, they're not only denying what the Bible says, uh, they're denying what man needs. Right. Uh, if, if we go back to the book of Job, 
we see that Job uh, wanted to be able to have God uh, in a in a courtroom, if you will, uh, so that he could try to defend his innocence and ask God, "Why are you doing what you're doing to me?" Because Job thought that his suffering was because of God. He didn't take Satan into consideration. I don't know how much he would have known about Satan, but in John, in uh, Job chapter nine. Uh, Job wanted for this to be the case, but he said, for he's not a man as I am that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. Then he, in the next sentence, said, neither is there any days man or any mediator between us uh, that might lay his hand upon us both. But then as he developed through the course of the book, chapter 1925, he was able to say, I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand the latter day upon the earth. What he was needing, what he was anticipating, was somebody who could stand between God and man, which that would take a God-man, and that's the role that Jesus Christ ultimately would perform, but that was a necessity. So not only is somebody denying the deity of Christ denying something about Jesus, they're denying one of the fundamental facts and one of our fundamental needs that's been recognized for 4,000 years, at least. Right. And uh, 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 through 6, I think, brings that in. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. And, uh, you know, in order for Christ to be the perfect mediator between God and man, he, he needs to know what it is like to be God and man. And, and he is fully God and he's fully man. And sometimes I think I hear little comments and I know it's this is one of the semi-difficult things to grasp. I suppose, you know, anytime you even get into the Godhead, uh, it, it can be certain aspects of it can be kind of difficult for us to wrap our minds around fully. But I do find that sometimes people are trying to wrap their eyes or wrap their minds around the deity of Christ. And they almost want to just completely. uh humanize him with with you know taking the deity away from him and we can't do that um you hear comments sometimes about well he he was he was a man he was a man he was man and he was but he also was god in the flesh and we've got to make sure and understand that as well right yes so uh he he is the mediator he he has been in all points tempted like we are yet without sin and uh, you go back to Matthew 4, and uh, we see that very clearly. He responded every time it was written, or it is written, and uh, he passed the test. He was tempted, but he didn't succumb to the temptations. So in his flesh, he was tempted, uh, but he did not succumb to the temptations, and that also is very important uh, for him to be able to qualify as our Savior yeah, uh, from, to be able to pass the test. Yeah, from two standpoints. Uh, not only because he was able to do that, demonstrating it, his perfection in that regard, uh, but if if he did not even set to endure that, then we could stand before God on the day of judgment and say, well, God, you don't know what it's like. Right. Uh, you, you never were a physical being. You don't know what a body feels like. You don't know what temptations men face. Well. He sent his son, 
now he knows that that excuse is out. Right. There's a passage in James that talks about how God <clears throat> cannot be uh, tempted with evil. Right. And uh, sometimes I, I think that might trip us up a little bit, but it really shouldn't, because I think that's talking about God in heaven cannot be tempted with evil. But when he allowed himself, uh, God the Son, to come in the flesh, he allowed himself to be tempted, I guess, for our sakes, like you're talking about, so that he would qualify as our Savior. We can't say that. We can't say, well, you don't know what it's like to be tempted because God the Son, when he came in the flesh, uh, was tempted, and, and he does know what that is like. And I go back to Isaiah 53. He's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. He, go, he went through the same things in life that we go through, including the temptations. Right. Right. What about uh, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8? Um, especially verse 8, where it says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And, you know, there's that, sometimes people use the word emptying uh, there to, to try to wrap our minds around that verse and that passage. And certainly there was that humbling that took place when he became a man. But that doesn't mean that he emptied himself of his deity, does it? No, he, he continued to be God, and that was uh, demonstrated in the very miracles that he performed. Uh, we think about, and we're going to talk about this in more detail in just a minute, but John 20, 30, and 31, the things that are written in that book are written so that you might believe. Believe what? That this one is whom he claims to be. He's not only a man, he is the man who is God. So there, there is that... Uh, 100% godness, 100% manness that we speak of from time to time. Absolutely. Well, you've, you've kind of mentioned uh, the Old Testament foretelling of uh, Jesus and, and his deity. And to get into our second question, why is it so important that we discuss and understand the deity of Christ? And uh, I think the Old Testament flowing into the New Testament is pretty key there. Uh, I'll just run through a list of some of the passages that I've considered, and then I'll let you follow up, Dan, if you want to. But uh, Isaiah seven fourteen, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That means God with us. So literally, God will be with us, that that prophecy said, and that took place when, when Christ was born. Uh, Isaiah 9, verse 6, also talking about the birth of Christ, says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and it goes on and says, His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, uh, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And then Isaiah 40, verse 3, uh, talking about the prophecy of uh, John the Baptist coming. It says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, what was his message going to be? Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So Jesus is God. And then Micah 5, verse 2, speaking of Bethlehem, where he was going to be born, it says, Out of Bethlehem would come forth the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting, and eternity. And I'd kind of like to get in and discuss that a little bit as well, especially when we see in the New Testament, you know, Jesus frequently talking about his eternal nature. So uh, do you have any comments on any of that, Dan? Well, we'll get into that in more detail uh, in a minute when we get into John. Uh, but yes, um, you, you mentioned the, the passages 
that we see I alluded to there in Matthew 1, 18 through 25, where we're reminded about this one who, who is Emmanuel, uh, God with us. Uh, I don't, uh, I find it a little difficult to fathom how somebody from a Jewish background would have appreciated that thought. I, I think from you know the worldly background where you have gods with little g, uh, you have these gods that have human traits, uh, human frailties, human emotions, uh, human needs, and things of that nature, and then you have demigods who are uh, part God, part human, but have no special ability, uh, maybe other than super strength or something like that. Uh, think about the labors of Hercules, for instance. Uh, for, for the Gentiles, the, the basic thought wouldn't be the most difficult thought, but from the, but, but they're not dealing with the proper type of God. Uh, but from the Jewish perspective, uh, this one who is Yahweh, this one who is Adonai, how is he going to become man? You know, they can't even say his name or, or uh, speak one of his names that's written, the, the uh, Tetragrammaton. Uh, how, how can he be represented? That had to have been a bizarre thought, and yet it was an expected thought. Now, we see that it was expected when some of his disciples, when he came, they said, this is the son. This, this is the one that the Old Testament had spoken of. Uh, even outside of Judea, when you have Jesus going to Samaria, uh, the, the woman at the well recognizes, you know what, this is the Messiah. Right. And so for that to, to go from concept which had to be been a, a nebulous concept to reality. Here is God in our midst. Uh, that that must have been uh, just quite the uh, quite the realization. For sure. Yeah. Um, do you think that maybe that's part of the reason why so many of his own rejected him and and didn't uh, receive him? Yeah, I, I think so. I think from two perspectives. Uh, number one, maybe not thinking it really possible that God could do that. Uh, number two, thinking that if God did that, he would do it in a form that would be more pleasing to what they had as a national desire. Uh, the Jews, we recognize in the Old Testament, they received physical blessings. Uh, they had a land. They had their, uh, they had their nation. And over time, even though they would deny it, <laughs> they would be captive to different people and ultimately are even captive to the Roman Empire. When Jesus came along, uh, here is God now ready to deliver us from this physical uh, oppressor. You know, he, he's going to establish a physical kingdom. Even his own disciples will thou now um, not establish, but set up thy kingdom. Uh, even after his uh, after his resurrection, so so there was a, a lack of appreciation of what Jesus could and would do, and so it wasn't just that they didn't anticipate that God would come in the flesh; uh, He wasn't the one that they were expecting. 
Right. And I think uh, Paul gets into this in first Corinthians chapter one, where he says that uh, to the Jews, Jesus was a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness, because again, he wasn't what they were expecting. They, the, the Jews couldn't wrap their minds around how <clears throat> the, the promised Messiah was not an earthly ruler, I guess. And uh, the uh, Greeks couldn't really wrap their minds around Jesus, you know, God coming in the flesh and then dying for all of humanity. Right. Well, I think that's exemplified on uh, the walls of one of the hills uh, or a, a catacomb in Rome on one of the hills. Uh, the Alexandrinus Graffito that pictured uh, this donkey-headed being being crucified and a fellow named Alexandrinus being ridiculed because here's his God. That's foolishness. Right. You have a God that can allow himself to be put to death. Right. And so, yeah, that, that would have been the very definition of foolishness for the, the Greeks and Romans. Right. Well, I want to get into... Uh... In the New Testament, Jesus' claims that he was deity or is deity. Uh, John 5, verses 17 and 18, Jesus talked about his Father, God the Father. And it says, therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him. Why? Well, it had to do with with, uh, things he was doing and teaching on the Sabbath. But even more so, also, he said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. And that had to do with Jewish custom, right, uh, regarding, you know, a, a father and son relationship and an equality that was there. And so the Jews immediately recognized when he called God his father that he was making the claim that he was deity as well. Is that right? That's right. Right. Yeah. And, and um, ironically, even though they saw the miracles being worked in front of him, if he's make, make, making that claim, those miracles must be being done by a different power than God. Right. And so uh, <laughs> that, that was how upset they were at that claim. Right. Uh, John 10, verse 30, uh, Jesus claimed, I and my Father are one. John 8, verse 24, for if you do not believe that I am uh, the King James, and I think several other translations have he but it's in italics, which means it was added for the purpose of aiding in the translation. But uh, probably should say, for if if you do not believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And uh, that I am statement is pretty important, isn't it? It is. uh, It harkens back, obviously, to Exodus chapter 3 and the uh, voice from the burning bush, which I think that's the second person, the Godhead. But when we hear that in in that location back in Exodus, Moses is wondering, you know, if you're you're sending me back to Egypt, who am I going to say sent me? Well, I am. I am that I am. The indication is there that he is existent. Uh, In English class, we often will talk about the English preparatory there. Um, what we mean by that is sometimes we have trouble with subject-verb relationships or even recognizing what the subject is when we have a sentence that begins with there. Now, we understand it when we're telling a joke. There was a man who, and, and that's how a lot of our jokes would 
uh, would begin, the word there isn't demonstrating a physical location. Uh, a, a grammatical difficulty exists, for instance, in the end of the book of Philemon, where Paul says, there salute thee, and he starts listing these. Now, there salute thee sounds like he's telling Philemon, you need to salute these people where you are over there. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying ones who salute you exist. The there is, well, really it's not there in the Greek. It wouldn't be present. Uh, effectively, the, the Greek there would say, salute you are. You know, these, these who are saluting you exist. That I am is exactly that idea. It, it just carries this idea of existence. But more than the existence that you and I have, uh, we might say, uh, uh, I am in the sense that I you know, have flesh and so forth. But Jesus could say that in the standpoint of I am self-existent. And he did it not only there in John 8, 24, uh, 28, 58, John 4, 26, 6, 20, 13, 19, uh, chapter 18, verses 5 and 6 and 8. Uh, similar expressions in John 7, verses 28 and 29, uh, 8, 16 through 18, 23, and so forth. In other words, it's over and over again. We generally talk about seven of those. And that's not counting when he would have a, uh, a predicate nominative following it. I am the bread of life. I right. am the light of the world. I am the gate of the sheep or gate for the sheep. We have seven of those. This is a constant theme in John. Even in Revelation, we're going to see those I am statements coming back. Generally, uh, they're going to have either uh, a predicate nominative. Sometimes they'll have a predicate adjective. Uh, but Romans, uh, Revelation 1, 17 and 18, 2, 23, uh, 21, 6, over and over, we have this repeated, I am. Right, right. <clears throat> One of those I think you mentioned was John 8, verse 58, before Abraham right. was. Oh, that's I, an excellent verse. Right, right. Before Abraham was, past tense. I am. And so you try to wrap your mind around that grammatically, and it doesn't make sense until you understand that he's saying he is eternal. Yeah, so that because normally we don't put a present tense before somebody that lived 2,000 years in the past. It just doesn't really make sense unless you understand that Jesus is eternally existent. He is That's the right. I am, the eternally existing one. Is that That's right? right. Um, yeah, th that's such a wonderful verse. Um, and, and you nailed it before Abraham was past tense. I am, but the idea is I am in existence and I am in existence. I was in existence. I will be in existence. I, I think we also can liken that with respect to Abraham. Abraham spoken of there in the past tense, other places, um, Jesus will speak, of, or God too, for that matter, the God of the Father, uh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so forth. Uh, in other words, he has continued to be their God, indicating that since they're originally coming, they have continued existence. Now, they have continued existence, but they had a start. 
God has continued existence, but he didn't have a start. And that's the distinction between the I am before Abraham and I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. When I when I try to explain that concept, I try to use a number line and I'll use us as an example. Will we exist for all of eternity in one direction? Yes. But we had a starting point. So if you use our our lives as depicted on a line, we have a starting point, which was our birth. But we will exist eternally in one of two places, heaven or hell. But God doesn't have that starting point. So he he exists on that line in both directions infinitely, eternally. And that again, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. Uh, as far as just grasping that concept of, of God and, and again, the Godhead. But uh, really, it's necessary for us to understand our existence, because for us to exist, we have to have somebody who has existed for all of eternity to have created us. That's right. So I think this is a good stopping point for us for this week's episode. Uh, Lord willing, next week, Dan is going to be back with us, and uh, we will pick up the rest of this discussion on the Everyday Christian Podcast about the deity of Christ. Thank you, Dan, for uh, joining us, and we'll uh, we'll hit the pause button and then uh, get ready for next week's episode as well. What's up, guys? It's Caleb and Michael over here from the Scattered Abroad Network, and we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, we're so thankful to the East Hill Church of Christ for overseeing this network, and we're grateful to God for this opportunity. And don't forget, you can check out our show notes below for all of our social media links, email address, website, And we have a monthly newsletter, so don't forget to sign up for that. Please remember to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you use. And please continue to keep our network in your prayers. As always, thank you again so much for listening. Be ready tomorrow. We have brand new content coming out here on the SAN. Thanks so much, and God bless.